Where you sent me packing down Green River Valley I knew that if you couldn't then Hey, this is Adam with Mile High Stash, the podcast that asks what five albums you would take to a remote Colorado cabin in the event of a zombie apocalypse, armed with only food, water, and a crank-powered Victrola. Today our guest is Andy Thorne, the great banjo player from Leftover Salmon. Uh, Leftover has been a Boulder institution for over 30 years, and Andy is my favorite musician who's ever been in the band, for sure. Not just what he brings to Leftover with his banjo, but his beautiful solo work as well. Um, He has a bunch of albums out under Andy Thorne. And his recent album of instrumentals is inspired by a fox that keeps coming back to his house in the foothills of Boulder. Actually, his last two albums, but the most recent one is a um, instrumental record that I just love. And, you know, Andy's whole laid back, hilarious personality is really awesome. And um, I've heard a lot of people in Boulder recently say that he's their favorite part of Leftover. Um, There are a lot of parts of Leftover (laughs) to choose from, and it's great how they have all these you know, different sort of stars in the band that have separate solo careers. Um, I was really happy to have Andy stop by my house recently for a chat about music and foxes. Uh, Speaking of foxes, if you're in Colorado this weekend, I am seriously coming out of my public speaking shell by hosting a live recording of Mile High Stash with the amazing ladies of Fox Feather. Longmont's incredible Fox Feather, um, who will be playing two sets and getting interviewed by nervous me in between. That is Saturday, April 1st at number 38 in Denver. It's free. It's a live recording of My High Stash featuring Fox Feather. Um, come by and say hello. Take part in the Q&A. That would be great. Um, <laughs> or just drink a beer with me. Um, I'll certainly need one to get up there. Um, all right, here's my conversation with Andy Thorne of Leftover Salmon. He rolled down Lee Hill to talk with me. And in between tours with Leftover, Andy is playing a benefit for the Future Arts Foundation at the Rayback in Boulder, April 27th, with members of Yonder Mountain Strings Band. The opening act at the Rayback on April 27th will be another veteran of Mile High Stash, Bonnie Sims of Big Richard and the Bonnie and Taylor Sims Band. Bonnie is, so far, the only Mile High Stash guest to yodel on the show. So if you haven't heard that episode, seek it out. Um, Leftover Salmon and Big Richard are both Colorado artists you'll hear on the Colorado Sound, 105.5 at the Colorado Sound the greatest radio station around and i think the only one you can hear from fort collins to boulder to denver and even in the mountains the colorado sounds djs play whatever the hell they want and it's always great anyway here's a short word from the sponsors of mile high stash and then my chat with andy thorne so take all you can The Dab is a veteran-owned dispensary with seven locations in Colorado, owned and operated by Lance Perryman. The Dab offers everything from flour and edibles to pre-rolls, rosin, and accessories like pipes, paper, and pens. 
Whether you're in search of exotic flower or chill CBD, head to a dab location in Denver, Aspen, Glenwood Springs, Louisville, or even Parachute, Colorado today, or order at thedab303.com. Don't forget to mention this episode of Mile High Stash in the next 30 days at any dab location to receive 10% off your purchase. Since I don't really know anything about you besides your music, like, where are you from? Um, I grew up out in North Carolina. Oh, yeah? The land of bluegrass. Um, And was that something that was big in your family? Not exactly. My family really liked bluegrass, though. And Mm. uh, my mom was from West Virginia and my dad was from New Jersey. So they're not really from North Carolina. Yeah. But uh, they're big bluegrass fans, so we grew up going to some bluegrass concerts in Durham, North Carolina, and there was always a lot of bluegrass coming through town because it's huge there, you know. And when did you first um, pick up an instrument? I was taking piano and guitar lessons, you know, probably piano lessons pretty early, and I started messing with a guitar sometime maybe around 10 Mm. But then when I bought a banjo at my neighbor's yard sale, I really got into the banjo. (laughs) What age was that? That was when I was 12. When you were 12? Yeah. And I don't think I really, I I wasn't like, oh, I've got to get a banjo. I love banjos. Mm. I just sort of ended up with this instrument because it was $50 at my neighbor's yard sale and kind of became infatuated with it because it seemed really unique and fun. And was that uh, like like accepted among your friends, or was it like well, like what are you doing with this? What is this thing? Um, I don't know if I really took it out that much. It was mm. sort of something I messed with at home. Yeah. But by the time I was in high school, I had a little band with my friends, and yeah. people did really like it. Yeah. By that point, I think banjo was starting to be kind of cool. Mm. Not as cool as it became after Oh Brother, Where Art Thou and all right, that stuff. Right. I can't remember what year that was, but I was in high school um, in the late 90s, you know, and graduated 2001. So banjo was definitely starting to be kind of hip and cool. Yeah. And when you picked it up, did you start to get immersed in, in all the old music? Yeah, I think getting the banjo at the yard sale is what drove me to look into all the music. I already did like bluegrass and had gone to like a seldom seen concert and I'd seen Doc Watson Mm -hmm. and some of the people that came through regularly that my parents were big fans of. But I really started getting into banjo driven music because I got the banjo and discovered Bella Fleck and Tony Trishka and all those people. I just recently got um, into the song called Ruby, Are You Mad at Your Man? Nice. You know this? Yes. Oh my God. It's like punk rock. Yeah. Country. That is like punk rock. I believe that's the Osborne Brothers. Yeah, yeah. fucking yeah. just phenomenal. The vocals song. on that are totally crazy. Yeah. And Sonny Osborne on banjo. I think he just passed away last year. Oh. I think he Billy Strings plays that song too. He probably does. Yeah, yeah, yeah that is a hell of a song. <laughs> Tell me about um, um, your journey from um, North Carolina to um, Colorado, and also, you know, it's obvious when you look up um, Andy Thorne on Spotify or um, anywhere else that you had a solo career. And, and then there was the leftover thing, you know, so if you could give me the Cliff's Notes yeah. <laughs> version of that. I, uh, I've i always loved Colorado. I've always, I, I used to come out here with scouts when I was in oh, high wow. school, I think. So I'd like hiked 14ers and mm-hmm. been camping out here. 
I've always been an outdoorsy guy. Yeah. So like Colorado always had this thing. I wanted to go out there and ski mm. and see the mountains. And then also growing up in North Carolina as a fan of bluegrass bands, I be as I started to become more of a hippie kid, I became fans of the jam bands. And yeah. I actually saw like leftover and oh, wow. string cheese at Merle Fest. You remember that well? I do remember that. And I loved it. I was like, wow, this is like what mm. I love to do, like bluegrass, but mixed with some improv and some jamming mm. and they're having a lot of fun on stage. They're not wearing suits. They're smiling their asses. They're up. smiling. They're having mm. a great time. So that's what I really remember about seeing those two bands at Merle Fest that year mm. in like 95 maybe. Yeah. And I knew they were from Colorado. So you're like, wow, I've got to go out to Colorado and see what's going on with the music scene. So I've always wanted to go. And uh, on a ski trip, in 2003, we were we drove all the way to Durango to our friend worked at the mountain resort there and he mm-hmm. got us free lift tickets. And we ended up meeting Anders Beck, who's the Dobro player in Green Sky Bluegrass. Right. Now, mm-hmm. we met him at the music store and he was just working at a music store at the time and became friends. And he said, let's jam while you guys are in town. I've got this bass player buddy who ended up being Travis Book from the String Dusters. Mm-hmm. So we hung out with them for like three days and jammed. And then they convinced me to move out there that summer. Mm-hmm. So I spent that whole summer in Durango. And we did the Rocky Grass Band Contest at the end of the summer. Mm-hmm. And we won. Whoa. So it was pretty cool. And I won the banjo contest. No shit. So wow. that was 2003, and uh, we're like, hell yeah, let's do this next summer because mm-hmm. uh, we have a gig at Rocky Grass. Mm-hmm. So we did it again, and it was it was really amazing. I love those guys, but I was sort of scared to move to Colorado full-time, I guess. Mm-hmm. So after I graduated, I ended up in Larry Keel's band for oh, yeah. a few I didn't years. Know that. that was an amazing time because yeah. those guys really know the roots of the music, and yeah. they know how to mix the roots with the jam yeah in a way that you don't really see in colorado as much because Mm -hmm. they're really immersed in it he's like from virginia yeah grew up with all the real raw bluegrass Mm -hmm. so he kind of brings more of that stuff so the two years with him i learned a lot Mm. about that style it's so good to have you know both educations because you know sometimes it 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 feels like if you're going to be in the bluegrass world you know, you got to do Shady Grove and you got to do these songs and you have to do them the right, the um, so-called right way. Right. And then a lot of times you go to see a jam band and you're like, you guys are good, but it seems like you haven't listened to much music. Right. You know, so how did you learn that you got to do both? Um, It just slowly became apparent, I think, mm-hmm. you know, as you as you spend more time out in Colorado I, it was a, it was pretty obvious growing up in North Carolina with the bands you would see around there, even bands that aren't big or popular. There were mm-hmm. a lot of great local bands and everybody knows the roots there mm-hmm. because there it is. It's almost annoying. They're like, oh, you have to play it like Earl or you have mm-hmm. to. So I think they take that a little bit too far with a lot of people in North Carolina. Right. But in Colorado, it's sort of the opposite end of the spectrum. Or maybe it was back then. Now the music is so immersed Mm-hmm. That was 20 years ago, and every year there's more and more bluegrass coming here. But somehow, like between those two cultures, I've figured out how to try to keep the roots alive while jamming 
Yeah. Or that's what you're, you're, you know, I'm still trying to figure that out. Do you feel like that's almost your job in Leftover Salmon is to be that connection since you're playing the instrument you play? Um, I guess it sort of is. And uh, I'm always, you know, my banjo playing is always going to go back to the roots, but I'm mm-hmm. fairly progressive these days. Yeah, and yeah. I'm not I'm not very traditional at all. <laughs> Even back then, I wasn't, you know, people in North Carolina would think that I played too much Hooli Who. Hooli Who? As one guy. I wish I could remember this guy's name. Great banjo player. He said, That's man, good. you like that Hooli Who. <laughs> I have never heard this term before. Hooli Who. That, that means jamming. Yeah. The yeah. Well, some people call it noodling. Yeah. I think that's yeah, it is noodly. <laughs> but uh, anyways, going back to Colorado, mm-hmm. I all those experiences yeah. happened before I even joined Salmon. Right. So I was back in North Carolina, kind of uh, did Larry Keel, and then that sort of wore me out. That was my first real time on the road. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, the road is really hard. We toured mm-hmm. pretty hard with that band. We drove around a lot. So I took a few years to go back to my local band, Big Fat Gap before I heard about an opening in the Emmett Nershey band oh, cool. that I got recommended for. Mm-hmm. And I was ready to move to Colorado at that point. Yeah. And I drove out in my station wagon, been here ever since. Nice. Yeah. We'll talk about the Hooli Who in the, um, in a few minutes. Nice. <laughs> but um, so the theme of this podcast is that uh, people, um, mostly musical artists, but not only come on and, and I ask them about them themselves. I want to hear your story. But also interspersed is um, five albums that um, you would choose if you were in a scenario where there was a zombie apocalypse and, you know, you can't, unfortunately, you're not um, with your kid and the fox might not even be there. (laughs) But, you know, you're somewhere like uh, um, uh, Ward or... Uh, something like that, and you're it's in a, a zombie cabin. apocalypse up in Ward. For yeah, sure. yeah, it's already a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> Just kidding. We love the Wardos. <laughs> I mean, especially on the Fourth of July, you mm-hmm. know, when they have the the fireworks battle. Oh, I'm, I live right up there, so I'm always going through Ward. <laughs> um, and and so all you have there is food and water and a old crank powered Victrola, so no power. And um, you can take five vinyl albums. So we like to ask, what is your first choice? First choice I was going to go with is John Prine. Oh, yeah? These are all albums I have, actually. Yeah, that's Although perfect. Although I put my record player away since the baby came. Oh, But yeah, John Prine, Tree of Forgiveness. Oh, wow. That album is special. <laughs> the final album. The final album, it's kind of, I mean, it's sort of about dying and it's about your life and it's a little introspective. So I think it'd be a good thing to have playing as you're facing all of that stuff. Yeah. In a deserted cabin in Ward. Yeah. A lot of people, I think think the Pogues and John Prine have been the two most chosen artists on the show. Nice. And it, it, it does seem like it, like... If you're in the worst situation possible, you'd want to hear John Prine's voice. Yeah. It's it's like a hopeful album while also facing your own death and looking back at your life. And yeah, it makes you feel good, I think. Yeah. About it all. So um the new I was just I don't know why I was surprised. I mean, um I've I've been in bands that have opened up for leftover and it's it's got the bluegrass thing and it's got the jammy thing. So when I heard that you had an an album um, inspired by uh, the Fox, which we 
we can talk about that too. Um, I didn't expect it to sound almost like something Andrew Bird would do. Like it's just these instrumentals and um, uh, for me, it's somewhere up between an instrumental uh, virtuosic like Andrew Bird album and um, you know the instrumentals on the first Fish album? Um, I believe so. Junta with like yeah, You Enjoy Myself and all that. Some of it kind of reminded me of that. Very too. cool. So how did you decide to do an instrumental album? Because I know the, the one before wasn't instrumental. Right, it wasn't. Um, I, I guess it, was, it really was inspired by the Fox. And yeah. that the whole new album is Clawhammer Banjo. Okay. Other than two songs, which are kind of slow finger picking, but... I almost do no claw hammer in the band. Hmm. That's when you take your picks off and you strum. So you're sort of doing lead and rhythm at the same time. Hmm. So that's what I really like about it. And that's what I do more around the house because you're playing lead and rhythm at the same time. So it sort of fills the space a little bit better. Yeah. And it's not, there's something about the three finger banjo picking as well. That's flashy, you know, Hmm. it's fast and it's, you're improving, and I really like doing that style, but there's a tiny bit of pressure that comes along with it. You're like, oh, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. With this claw hammer stuff, it's kind of more just melody and rhythm. And with old time, each time it comes around, you're more like trying to get more in the rhythm and more of the melody in a tiny different way and get yeah. this rhythm like so good you can't help but dance or feel it. Yeah. So that's what this album is more like, and it's really it was really fun because of that. And yeah, I didn't think it needed words. Mm. But this whole thing was inspired by, during the pandemic, the fox, this fox would come over that lived in the neighborhood, and he did not like it when I was playing the louder, faster, three-finger <laughs> style, but we noticed he likes the claw hammer. Yeah. And I also noticed, as I started to make videos and put them online, that the people... Like the the uh, fans out there really liked the claw hammer stuff, you know. I would spend all this time like practicing a very fancy piece or something with the three finger banjo, but then some little thing I would make up that was claw hammer would get more reaction. Yeah. So I noticed people really dug it. Well, even though it 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 doesn't have words, it's it's very lyrical. Right. Yeah. It's lyrical and it's simple. It's kind of easy to listen to and it also goes with the nature what is the fox's name do you have a name for it foxy foxy yeah did your kid name it no (laughs) (laughs) you would think so yeah it slowly happened we just started calling it foxy yeah haven't seen it much lately but yesterday Mm -hmm. i saw it way up in the yard so we know he's around yeah but uh we've been out of town a lot so (laughs) there's something about foxes but um especially silver foxes too and and I've, i've seen one silver fox on Lee Hill, actually. Yeah. When I was on a bike ride. We've know. seen one silver and one black fox up there. The foxes yeah. are incredible. <laughs> My kid um, um, is now 13, but used to be obsessed with foxes and would have like a fox shirt and a fox, you know. We had a fox birthday party one time. It was all fox themed. Yeah. You know? We have fox everything. Yeah. Every gift is fox related <laughs> because of all the posting about foxes we've done. <laughs> the album um, right before that was also inspired by the by the fox. And it says. Yeah. That one is uh, fox songs and other tales from the pandemic. 
that was one we recorded at home mm-hmm. and we just had, it was all, that one's all lyrics and it was all songs we wrote during the pandemic. It was kind of about getting pregnant and never leaving the house. Yeah. <laughs> that was basically, and hanging out with the Fox a lot. Yeah. But after that one came out, the vi- this one video of an instrumental tune that I played to the Fox went viral. Yeah. Yeah. And I hadn't recorded that tune and people all over the world started asking me what it was mm-hmm. because of the, the, the song went global. The video did and all these people. So I was like, I've got to record this song mm-hmm. and just recorded. I went back through all my videos where I would go out at sunrise and improv something mm-hmm. in this open tuning. That's really easy to improv in. And I would be, and I would kind of recall that one and I got them all together and recorded them. Yeah. Jay Elliott recorded it actually. And I think he's done some of the gas pop stuff too. Yeah. 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 He's great. What studio was that in? It was at his home studio. Oh, that was his home studio. Yeah. 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 Great place. Yeah. Um, so this episode of, of, of my podcast, Mile High Stash is sponsored by a great place we were talking about before that sells. Um, I mean, I'm not really in this world much, but flour and, and, um, re- Resin, resin, and also the the third one, edibles. Is edibles. There, there you go. This is like a trivia thing. Can you name the three? And they also the dab is what it's called, and they have a lot of locations all over Colorado. And they also said last night, Lance from the Dab said that if you listen to this episode, go in, mention that you listen to the Mile High Stash episode with Andy Thorne from Leftover Salmon, ten percent off. Wow. Yeah, I'm gonna go in and get that deal. <laughs> Um, but the reason that I mentioned that is, is that there's, um, a song on that album that's called Blazing, Blazing New Frontiers. Yeah. That was on an album I made a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. um, out in North Carolina. Yeah. And that one is about my wife's journey in the cannabis industry. Yeah. Tell us about that song. Yeah. It was really fun. It's, she was, we think she was the first licensed broker in the country. Wow. Because she was doing brokering back when it was kind of a gray area Mm -hmm. and there was no license for brokering, actually. So she started to think she needed one and she went to the MMED and said, can I get a license for this? And they they thought that it was the first one they'd ever given out. They were like, Mm -hmm. oh, we've never licensed anyone for this, but we will. Yeah. So based on that, we think she was the first one in the country. But anyways, it's her it's it was a little poem that I found that she wrote about her weed dealing days. Yeah. You know, it's like running around Colfax, federal to Pearl, Mm -hmm. 20 grand in a pack, just a mountain girl. (laughs) So it was I I thought the lyrics really fun. And I just uh, turned it around and made it a song about her. And it's got some activism in it, too. It's asking Congress to. Exactly. It's saying we're the first state to go legal or I don't remember. Yeah. It's asking Congress Mm -hmm. to make it legal everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. As they should. Yeah. And it's talking about how the, um, the legal side has gotten crazier and crazier, you know, God, I'm trying to remember the lyrics (laughs) unless I'm flowing in them. I can't, but yeah, you need, Oh, it's like gotta have a barcode on every bag and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. You know, it's taken away some of the fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's fun to have really good weed. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I was a kid up in Pittsburgh and smoking pot in freshman, sophomore year of high school, it was it was just, you got stoned. And it was like, 
this is nice. Like not that much different from having a couple beers. Right. And, and now with all of the strains and all the different ways of ingesting it, it's incredible. Like the, the range of, of experiences you can have. Right. It is fun to sort of know what it might do. Yeah. Or know what kind of effect you're looking for. And then you can find a strain for that. Yeah. We, we like weed. <laughs> okay. Album number two. Oh, okay. Yeah. So definitely need a little hip hop in there. And I love Mac Miller. So I'm going to oh, go nice. with. Speaking of Pittsburgh. Speaking of Pittsburgh. Yeah. What was that last album called? Circles. One of, it's an incredible album. Yeah. And it's another one where the lyrics are very introspective. Mm-hmm. kind of sat you're like is this guy like i think that album was put out after he died yeah yeah but a lot of so a lot of the lyrics whatever he was going through they're really speaking about dying and mm-hmm. facing your own death and stuff like that so mm-hmm. but the music is awesome and the production yeah. is killer don't take bad drugs kids Just yeah don't don't take pills smoke weed and you'll, no powder you'll be drugs fine. psychedelics are great yeah yeah we're not sponsored by any psychedelics, or yet. I would say go. <laughs> not yet. Give it a year. It is almost legal now. Yeah. Well, this is what it looked like right before you fall. Stumbling around, you've been guessing your direction. H.B. Wood Songs is Boulder's longest-running music shop frequented by well-known local artists from Gregory Allen Iskoff to the String Cheese Incident. Starting as folk arts music in 1971, Woodsongs has been a hub for the Front Range's musical community for over 50 years, offering friendly, expert service to customers of all ages and all levels of musical experience. Woodsongs offers the community a vintage boutique vibe with modern conveniences and services. They're musicians too, so they get it. Woodsong strives to be a place where all musicians, from beginners to pros, feel at home. Along with instrument sales and lessons, Woodsongs does brass and woodwind repairs and features Colorado's finest string repair shop, located directly across the street. Stop by Woodsongs in Boulder today or check them out online at hbwoodsongs.com. Um, tell me about leftover salmon it's kind of where we are in in your story yeah you know yeah so i was in emmett nursery band for a couple years and drew and i became really close and at that point leftover salmon was about to start doing some more gigs so i Mm -hmm. filled in on a couple that matt flinner could not make Mm -hmm. and uh i think he wasn't really all in so they brought me in and i it was a slow how's it gonna go but pretty quickly they invited me to join for real and we started making a new album which yeah. was their first album in like eight years and yeah. it was it was really exciting back then we were just coming back out and i actually got the title track because i had an unnamed instrumental and they knew oh, wow. what they wanted to name the album so it got called aquatic hitchhiker <laughs> what's it like to join a band that you know like they've been around since 1989 and then they're saying we want you to be in our family basically it was amazing. And it was, I mean, it already felt incredible to be with Drew and Bill Nershey because I grew up a big fan of Leftover and String mm. Cheese. Yeah. But joining Leftover was just a whole other level of excitement because we were starting to do some really big stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And it was definitely a hard transition to playing in a loud band with a mm-hmm. drummer. Yeah. As a banjo player, I was not used to that. I didn't know a lot of the tricks you have to do to plug in a banjo and get it that loud. Mm. You've got to like stuff the inside of your banjo so it doesn't feed back. And then getting used to that difference of tone, you kind of have to play completely differently. So it was a little bit of a struggle, but I think it, it you know, it flowed really well personally. Yeah. And it was awesome. And did you learn all that stuff on your own or did you have somebody say, hey, this is this is what you got to do? I asked a lot of people yeah. and the guys in the band knew because they're all, you know, you would always see the banjo player taking the resonator on and off to put this or that inside and mute it. Yeah. So everybody helped out and, you know, sound guys have ideas. It's still something I'm chasing is trying to get a banjo to sound good plugged in. Yeah. They just they just don't, mm. you know. But my electric banjo sounds killer. I didn't even know. And see, this is how I, I didn't even know there was an electric banjo. Yeah. I mean, it sounds sort of like a banjo, but it's it plugs in a little better. And it sounds a little more natural. But I love I love both. And playing both in the band are super fun. Yeah. And did you feel instantly embraced by kind of the, the Colorado, uh, I don't know what you would call it, jam grass community, that kind of thing? I, I really did feel, and they could have been harsher on me. I think they were really nice to me. I think they were happy that the band was back. Mm. And so they were happy that the band was happy enough to be playing with me on banjo. They were just glad the band was back out there, and they were really kind to me, yeah. for sure. And the original uh, banjo player actually passed away, right? Yeah, he died of cancer, I think, in 2001. Yeah. He didn't even make it to 40. What was his name? Mark Van. Mark Van. Yeah. Really sad. Do you feel um, any kind of responsibility for like uh, carrying on the legacy of Mark? For sure. And we're, I mean, we're really good friends with his wife. I actually have two of his banjos at my house. Oh, wow. But I don't play them much on stage. I sort mm-hmm. of like having my own thing too. Yeah. But um, Mark was an incredible player. Yeah. And everyone loved him everywhere we go. You know, I was an old friend of Mark's and, yeah. and they're nice to me, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just glad the band is still out there doing it. Yeah. So. Leftover has, has, has definitely, in my opinion anyway, transformed since the early days when um, around that time uh, there were groups like the Samples too that were doing almost a, a reggae like it wasn't only the music, it was the voice too. And when I listened to the first Leftover Salmon album, there's this voice where it's like Jamaican bluegrass. I don't hear that anymore in the Leftover originals. I think uh, I love that early material that has that vibe. You know, yeah. there's a lot of calypso and there's some reggae mm-hmm. and there's, we still do all that stuff live. And yeah. Vince, Vince is great at singing that stuff. His voice sounds perfect on it, yeah. right? So those all the all of those tunes came from this guy Vinny Farsetta, hmm. who was one of Vince's college friends in West Virginia. But he really knew a lot about that style. Yeah, I think he he wrote Mama Boule. Yeah, um, Carnival Time is actually God. I, w- I wish I could remember whose song it was. It's very surprising, but that was in that era when they did that one. So a lot of that material they did they did not write. Oh wow! Yeah, so. Hmm. But they wrote, I don't know if you've heard Liza. That's one that was so. on Aquatic Hitchhiker. That does have that vibe still. But yeah, yeah, the last few albums, Vince 
Vince's writing has been way more country or like outlaw country, bluegrass. He's living in Nashville now. Making He's living in Nashville yeah. now. And he moved out there because he thought he had a chance to write songs for a lot of these people. And he's, he's writing for a great publishing company and stuff. Yeah. So it's very cool. But yeah, he's just not writing that material. But we mm-hmm. still do all that stuff live. Yeah. And we're we're kind of the only jam band, bluegrass band that does that kind of stuff, which yeah. is one of the things that keep us unique. Yeah. How do you deal with having all these songwriters in the band? Is, is, there, is there like an ego clash or is it just like everybody pitch in? Um, I You know, it's, it's really nice to have two clear leaders of the band. Mm. Vince and Drew yeah. are the clear leaders of the band because they started it. They've been doing it for so long. They sing the most. They sing the most. They're the best singers. We all know that. And they, you know, they've written the most songs. So it's pretty easy to shape a set list with most of their stuff and then a little bit of everybody else's. But it's kind of nice when we go to do an album, those guys sometimes don't bring enough material. Mm -hmm. So that's how we end up getting more of our stuff. Like I'll usually get two songs per record, which is pretty good for kind of a sideman type guy. Yeah. Who's not a lead singer. I don't think George Harrison even got that much. Right. So (laughs) usually I'll get like one vocal and one instrumental tune. And I'm quite happy to get that many on there, you know, but sometimes... I also think, oh, would an album be stronger and more cohesive if only those guys were the lead singers? I don't know. But that's some of the charm of the band, though. Yeah, that's some of so, the charm of the band. Because yeah. in, the, in the original days, they probably were the only two singing on the albums. But, I mean, it just shows how cool they are. They're letting all of us sing songs yeah. on the records now. So give me your albums three and four, if you can. Okay. Oh, I was going to go with an instrumental album. The very first David Grisbin Quintet. Oh, nice. Tell me about this album. It's incredible. I think it's self-titled, just David Grisbin Quintet. What what, what year was it? In the 70s? It was the 70s, maybe 1970. But really what makes it so incredible is the guitarist on it, Tony Rice. Do you know him? No. Oh, man. You got to do a deep dive into Tony Rice. Yeah. He's... I think he's from North Carolina, but then he moved out to California and met David Grisman. Mm-hmm. So he was already really great at bluegrass flat picking, and he was kind of starting his own style. But then Grisman was doing a hybrid of jazz and bluegrass. It was the first real jam grass, probably. Yeah. And having Tony join his band, like the stuff they do on that record is so perfect. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Um, just so everybody listening knows, I... I'm also um, make sure to do a playlist on Spotify where every time somebody selects an album, I put something from that album on there. So the David Grisman, Tony Rice album, if you haven't heard it, just go to Mile High Stash 2023 playlist on Spotify. And yeah. If you haven't heard that album, you're about to have your mind blown. Nice. And it's like, it almost goes to classical places at times. It's two mandolins, a violin, an acoustic guitar, an upright bass. And they do like composition's that sound like classical stuff, and they do more bluegrassy and then jazzy. It's mm. pretty incredible. Tell me about album number four. Album number four. Oh, I'm gonna go with North Carolina's all-time favorite, Doc Watson, Southbound. It's just he's the greatest singer, guitar player ever. Have you been into him since you were like ten or twelve? Yeah. Yeah. If you grow up in North Carolina, he's the hero. And he's always playing around, so I got to see him many times growing up. Is he still alive? No. He passed away a few years ago. 
But, I mean, I saw him play countless times because I would grow up going to Merle Fest, which was his festival for his son. Yeah. And he would always play in Durham, so I've seen him. Yeah, that album is incredible. Some of it's solo and some of it's got a small band on it, but it's just organic sounding. You, could, you couldn't get tired of it, really. That sounds amazing. I don't yeah. know that record because... Um, I grew up in Pittsburgh listening to ACDC, you know, so yep. I'll, I'll check that out. I definitely grew up listening to rock and yeah. punk and grunge and all that stuff, but now that would not do it for me in a cabin. In a cabin, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want to hear Brian Johnson's voice in a cabin. That's, that doesn't sound very... <laughs> Maybe like skiing some powder or something yeah, that yeah. would be on the playlist. But. <laughs> um, so in addition to Leftover Salmon and your solo recordings, you sometimes do... Uh, solo shows too and you were telling me you have at least one coming up in april yeah i do i love doing solo shows i just don't do that many of them now because i have a two-year-old at home yeah so uh i don't do as much of it i didn't even do a tour for this latest album i put out i just kind of do online stuff and Mm -hmm. that feels okay now but i'm really excited to have a few local things coming up i'm going to be at the rayback collective april 27th with adam and ben from yonder mountain oh beautiful and that's for the Future Arts Foundation, who raises money to like give kids instruments, and they do all this great stuff. So we're really looking forward to that. Travis Albright um, um, from Future Arts is actually going to come on the podcast uh, sometime soon. And um, we have played some of their events. We did the one at Mackey with, with um, I, I believe it was uh, the final Paper Bird show ever. Wow. Sadly. Yeah. Um, um, you know, but if you want to check out the Bluebird Music Festival um, um, and everything Future Arts does, that's definitely something to check out. That's sure. that same week, actually. Yeah, that's that's. I think we're playing Rayback on a Wednesday, and then by that weekend, the Bluebird thing is going on. Yeah. What is your set list like at a solo show? Um, it's it's really fun. I get to sing a lot more of my originals. Yeah. You know, in Salmon, I get to do like one or two a show, so it's really fun. Hmm to sing a lot of my originals. I've done a lot with Adam from Yonder Mountain, so we have a lot of stuff together that we know. Yeah, We'll do a lot of their old Yonder songs and stuff that they don't get to do in Yonder very much. And mm. Adam plays Clawhammer too, so we'll mm. do like double Clawhammer. Yeah. And I'll also play fiddle on this show, which is kind of my guilty pleasure. I love playing oh, fiddle. Oh, wow. I'm not the best, but I have a yeah. lot of fun. Yeah. So... I'm looking forward to it. It's exciting. <laughs> do you put the fox on the guest list for every show, just just in case? I do not bring the fox. <laughs> That's my new com- most commonly asked question yeah. at festivals. They're like, "Did you bring the fox?" <laughs> no, it's it's a wild fox. Yeah. Foxes would not seem as as magical if they were always around and you always saw them. Yeah. There's something about just seeing seeing it, and especially when you're with your kid, and you go, "Oh, there's a fox right there." You know? People might think it's a pet at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people do. It is not a pet. It's a wild fox. Fifth and final album. This is the huge decision here. Okay. So you don't know how long you're going to be in this cabin. You Mm -hmm. might be there for quite a while. Yeah. So what if you get to the holiday season and you're still there? Mm. So I'm going to go with Ella Fitzgerald, Swingin' Christmas. That's awesome. (laughs) One of my favorite records. I I mean, these are all vinyls that I have at home. Yeah. And uh, I absolutely love that one. I wear it out. Yeah. Even way pre-Christmas and post. Mm-hmm. It's just so good. <laughs> what qualifies um, 
as the beginning of Christmas season to you? Because I know this is an argument. Really, for me, it's when it starts getting really snowy at our house. Oh, so it could be like October. And yeah, it can Christmas be for now. me, for sure. Yeah, I have a very firm rule. The day after Thanksgiving, this is yeah. when the tree goes up and this is when... That's when we cut the tree down, for sure, because yeah. we go out in the yard and cut one down. That's a fun tradition, Thanksgiving weekend. But the music can start a little early. Like, if you have a really snowy day mm-hmm. in early November, yeah, I'm going to go there. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I had a lot of fun this year. I, I play Christmas carols on my banjo. Yeah. And I do videos of that, and people love it. So I think I'm going to try to make a little holiday album next year. I was going to ask you who did the art um, for the instrumental album because it's, go- it's gorgeous. That was a local artist who lives in Four Mile named Morgan Mandala. Okay. She goes by. So she worked at Helping Hands with my wife when they mm. were like 22. Yeah. And uh, so Ce- she's become a really famous artist, but Cecilia is still friends with her. So my wife made it happen. She asked her. Nice. Because we have saw some of her fox art. She mm-hmm. has foxes in her yard, too. Mm-hmm. And it was incredible. I was like, if she could do the cover, yeah. it would be amazing. That nice. cover sold a lot of albums, I think. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. they like the music, too. Right. I'd yeah. buy it just for that cover. You should sell prints. Um, I don't know if you have an Andy Thorne uh, website. Do you have a, your own website? Yeah, I do. Yeah. AndyThorneMusic.com. Yeah. Got that'd, lots of merch and albums. That'd be a really cool thing to sell, but like a poster-sized version of You know, that would be art. cool. I guess this year I wanted people to just buy the album. Right. So maybe next Christmas. Yeah. Um, one final question. Um, um, you know, you're in this cabin. You could take five albums, but you can also take one item of any kind. It can't be a person, but it's got to be something that while you're escaping up to, you know, Ward, you can carry with you. Right. Like yeah. my guitar. Your guitar. That's yeah. perfect. Hell yeah. You can yeah. kill endless time with that. Definitely taking my 1960 D18 Martin. Wow. Yeah. It's the kind of guitar that Hank Williams had, right? Possibly. Yeah. 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 Martin. Yeah. D18s. I actually bought it on Craigslist almost right in this neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show. And. Uh, I'm excited for um, you know the solo gig at the Rayback, and I'm expecting a, a flawless version of, of Ruby. Just, just. I don't know about yeah. that. <laughs> I'm not sure who would sing Ruby in that yeah. trio, but maybe <laughs> we can pull it off. <laughs> Thanks so much, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. That was me and Andy Thornton of Leftover Salmon talking about weed and foxes and music with the support of the Dab, Wood Songs, and the Colorado Sound. Andy will be at the Rayback in Boulder on April 27th, and I'll be recording a live episode of My High Stash this Saturday, April 1st at number 38 in Denver. That's at 7 p.m., and it's free, and it's going to be weird. <laughs> Until then... Enjoy all the hooly who you want. You got a word to say, it's hanging by a thread. I know you think you gotta be brave, but there's nothing but a sleigh inside your head. Oh, oh.